I'm glad they're here. Silent request tonight, all over the building. Look at Luke chapter 10, if you will. You're going to find this very interesting tonight. There's a couple of verses in here that are greatly misunderstood. And we're going to look at those along with the rest of the passage. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. Luke 10, 17 through 24. We'll talk about the joy of the 70 disciples. You know, there were 12 originals. And then our Lord handpicked 70 more to go out and do some evangelistic work several months out from his crucifixion, mainly in Judea. And they've been out on their evangelistic tour. They're coming back. They're reporting to Jesus. And here's what it is in Luke 10, verse 17. Look at it, please. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, now here's a verse misunderstood by some. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Here's another verse misunderstood. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, and this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. If that excites you, say amen. amen. Your name's written in heaven. That's wonderful. Now, here's the only verse in the Gospels that mentions Jesus rejoicing. Look at it. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Now watch this. This is wonderful. And he turned him unto his disciples and said privately, called him aside, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Aren't you glad for the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit that he gives you the ability to see spiritual things? You could not see that without him. You could not understand the word of God without him. But he's wonderful in enlightening our minds. But let's pray and we'll sit down and pray over these matters that we mentioned tonight and talk about the joy of the 70 disciples. Dear Lord, thank you for the privilege of being here tonight, this good group here, and then in the back, all the children, the teachers, all of them. Dear Lord, work through your wonderful spirit as they share the word of God. And may we hear very soon of some being saved back there because of that ministry. Bless here and Holy Spirit, share with us wonderful words of life. Bless every prayer request tonight. Grant it according to your perfect will. Bless Sunday like you never have before. And I'll praise you for all you do, for asking it in your name and with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you and be seated. The theme of this passage is joy. The joy of the 70 disciples and the joy of our Lord. <clears throat> Again, verse 21 is the only time in the Gospels where there's a direct reference to Jesus rejoicing out loud in the spirit where they can know what he's doing. That's an unusual thing because many of us think of Jesus in his earthly ministry as the man of sorrows, acquainted with the grief, according to Isaiah 53. And he was that. 
But that's not all. Our Lord was joyful. Our God is a joyful God. Think of Luke 15. Uh, That's the greatest parable in your Gospels. And it depicts God the Father through that Jewish elder. And what does he do when that prodigal comes home? He ran to him, fell on his neck and kissed him, threw a big party and celebrated and said, my son has come home, I'm rejoicing in it. Everybody come over and help me celebrate. That's a picture of how God is. God is a God of emotion, strongly emotional, very emotional, God is, and very joyful. And he likes to be known that way. And so this passage, the theme of it is the joy of the 70 disciples and the joy of our Lord. Listen to 1 Chronicles 16, 27. Joy is in his place. Here's a book we don't quote very often, Zephaniah three seventeen. I will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. That's our God. Can you see that? Our God shouting for joy. He's a joyful God. And that land of eternal day It's a blessed place. It's a joyful place. There's no sorrow there. There's no sadness there. There's no tears, no pain, no dying, nothing. It's a land of perfect day. And we're going there sometime and we'll be with him forever and we'll rejoice forevermore with our Savior, with our family and friends. You like that? Sounds good, doesn't it? So here it is. Now, you think of a, a person like the Apostle Paul Here he is writing from a prison cell uh, to the church at Philippi. And here's what he says. And you've got to remember his circumstances. He's in prison. And here's what he says in Philippians 4.10. I rejoice in the Lord. That's uncircumstantial joy. It's not dependent on what's going on around you. It's a joy given you by the Lord. It's unconditional. It's uncircumstantial. Isn't that wonderful to have that kind of joy? We don't have it. We can't produce it, but he gives it to us. It is his joy given to us. You say, well, I want more and more of that. Well, the more and more you get into his word, the more and more the word gets into you, the more you'll have his joy. I want to be joyful. I'm tired of all the bad news, aren't you? (laughs) I went to the store today to pick up a few things for Miss Wanda. Went over by the eggs. Big mistake. Big mistake, $5 for a dozen eggs. I said, no, I'll, I'll just use powdered eggs before I'll pay for that. I guess the chickens are on strike. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, it's something all the time. But I like to hear some good news once in a while. So here is a passage you'll enjoy tonight. We're going to look at some reasons why these 70 disciples had joy. First of all, there was divine power over Satan's kingdom in verses 17 and 18. Now, this was the first reason the disciples gave for joy, and it was legitimate. Look at it. Uh, They returned, verse 17, and said, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Now, that's quite a statement. That's quite a reason to be joyful because the demons in that day, very powerful. And listen, they were very active much more in Jesus' day than they are now simply because they were trying to stop his ministry. They were under the power of their commander-in-chief, the devil himself, and all these demons were working and trying to hinder and even stop 
the work of Christ, his redemption on the cross for the sins of fallen man. Now, when Jesus died, there was a celebration in hell because the devil said, we won, he's dead. He didn't stay dead. Short-lived celebration, right? Because after three days, he rose again, and now our Lord's alive forevermore. But they were very furious and very active in the life and ministry of our Lord, trying to stop him. So when the disciples came back from their evangelistic tour, and they said, hey, dear Lord, listen, we're so, re- we're so joyful because even the devils are subject to us. They trembled in our presence. Of course, it was the power of God in them, not their own power. But that was quite a reason to be joyful, right? You might have to close that door. I, I, listen, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love, the, I love it that they're back there. I love the noise. I love it all. And we're not fussing about that at all. But, uh, hey... I wish we had a hundred back there tonight. I don't think Sherry does, but uh, anyway. uh, (laughs) That's quite quite a few. But what a a reason for them to give to be joyful. Dear Lord, these demons are everywhere and they're trying to stop your ministry. And they had to stop and respect our power and authority because you gave it to us. They rejoiced over that. And that was legitimate reason they trembled at the very presence of the 70. Again, not because of their own power, but the power that the Lord had given. It was his power. You remember what Paul said in Ephesians 6? He said, be strong in the Lord, in the Lord and in the power of his might. We don't have any power, do we? No, it's his power in us. Why the devil could whip us every day of the week and twice on Sunday with one hand tied behind his back. We're no match for him, but he can't do anything with our Lord and he lives in us and he empowers us to live the Christian life. Now, modern day prophets, they come up with this stuff and it just makes me sick. Uh, Oh, we're going to rebuke the devil. We're going to bind Satan. It's a wonder the devil don't box their jaws right there on the spot. Honestly, of all the ignorance and stupidity to think a human being can bind the devil and uh, rebuke him and put him in his place. Even Michael the archangel with all his power didn't even try that. You remember he argued with the devil over the body of Moses and uh, he said, I'm not going to mess with you. The Lord rebuked you, Satan. Now, if an archangel backs off from the devil, there's not much you and I can do with him. You know what you need to do when the devil knocks on your door? Just sit there and say, Lord, would you mind getting that? I'm going to sit here because I can't do anything with him. You handle him. You can't match wits with him. Don't even try. You think you've got him cornered and figure out he'll come around from an angle you've never thought of before and he'll get you every time. You can't match wits with the devil. You just can't. Run to the Savior every time and use the Word of God to combat the devil and his onslaughts toward you. It's the Word of God. What did Jesus use in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 3? What did he use against the devil? He said, as it is written. He quoted from Deuteronomy every time. As it is written. He didn't even try to do his own talking with him. He said, as it is written. So anytime you're having trouble with the devil, run to a promise in the word of God. And that'll put him to flight. He can't do anything with it. 
but binding the devil, oh, fooling. Now, that, that binding, that reminds me, this is almost humorous. Our Lord had a sense of humor because he put some things in. This is humorous. Acts 19, here's some Jewish exorcists, and they think they're going to cast some demons out of some people. And so uh, one of them goes up to a demon-possessed fellow, and he said in Acts 19, 15, uh, I adjure thee in the name of Jesus and in the name of Paul, come out from him. And they were doing that on their own power. You know what that demon did? He used that man's body. He leaped on that man and beat him within the edge of his life, and they went running for cover. And here's what the demon said to that guy. He said, now Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who in the world are you? That's kind of humorous, isn't it? But you just don't mess with the devil. You don't do that. Even though he's a defeated foe, it was our Lord that defeated him. We haven't defeated him, and we can't. But the power of God in us can. So don't be afraid of the devil. I don't mean that. Don't say, well, I hope he don't bother me. You're not at the mercy of the devil. You're at the mercy of God. Let him work in your life and go on with your life and enjoy your life. And don't live in fear of what the devil might do to you because he's a defeated foe. He has been ever since Calvary. But what does verse 18 mean? Look at it. Jesus said unto them after they said, here's the reason we're happy. The demons are subject to us. All right, Jesus kind of moves around a little bit there. And he said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. What in the world does that mean? A lot of misunderstanding there. This is not a reference to Satan's original fall from heaven that's recorded in Isaiah. There's nothing in the context that would support that. You know how the best way to interpret your Bible? Look at the context. The verses above it, the verses below it. See what the subject matter is. If what you're thinking doesn't fit with that subject matter in that context, you need to look at that verse again. There are 31,163 verses in your King James Bible. Here's the thing. Every single verse has only one proper interpretation. It has some applications, but it can only mean one thing. And what I think about the Bible doesn't amount to a hill of beans. What you think about the Bible, that's not important, is what it actually says, what it actually means. And I want to know the true meaning of every verse. Don't you? Because it is the truth that sets you free. And it is the truth that we rejoice in. I want to know the truth of the Word of God. I don't care about what Dr. Bottle Stopper thinks about it over the last uh, seminary at Polduck County. I, boy, I'm full of it tonight, aren't I? But anyway, I want to know what the Word of God actually says. I don't care about a, a seminary professor and his interpretation of it as such. If he's right, wonderful, but if he's wrong, he's wrong. I want to know what the Bible says. And here's what it's saying. Jesus said, I beheld Satan is falling from heaven. Now, you can't be dogmatic here, but it seems that this would mean this. Instead of original fall from heaven, because it doesn't fit the context, it would seem that Jesus is talking about the continual, because it's in the continual tense in the original, the continual falling of Satan's kingdom as people are brought into the family of God by believing the gospel. It's breaking down Satan's kingdom even till this day. That's exciting. Amen. It really is. 
I mean, people think there's nothing to the church. Oh, don't minimize the church or discount the church. The church is the most powerful organization on this earth. It is a living organism that has organization. And we're here by divine appointment, by divine mandate. We don't have to apologize to be here. We're not afraid of the government for being here. We were here first. This is our Lord's idea that we're here in this church, right? And we hold up our head, we go forward, we share the gospel. Thank God it's not against the law to do so, but even if it were, we would still suppose to share the gospel. But at any rate, they rejoiced over the fact that they had divine power over Satan's kingdom. Second reason, if you'd like to know what it is, say amen. amen. Boy, that tea must have had a lot of caffeine. I'm coming live up here. Here it is. Divine protection from Satan's kingdom. Not only divine power from his kingdom, but divine protection from his kingdom. Look at verse 19. Verse it's misunderstood. Behold, I give you power to tread over serpents and scorpions. What in the world? And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be able to harm you. Now, this is a proof text for snake handlers. Look at it. I give you power to tread on serpents or snakes and scorpions, uh, especially charismatics, or as we call them in Alabama, charismatics. That was that laid an egg. It didn't even funny. But charismatics. They, and, and I'm not picking at charismatics people, not people who may be charismatics, but their religion. Gene is way off base about the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and this thing, who in the world wants to handle a snake? I don't even like dead ones, do you? I'm afraid of them. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. He is not talking about literal serpents and scorpions because the context doesn't support that. It's metaphorical. It means something else. It's talking about the evil powers of Satan's kingdom liking that power to serpents and scorpions. It's metaphorical. It's trying to get a truth across so people would get it. And they knew what he was talking about. They didn't know, they didn't think for a minute he was talking about literal snakes and scorpions, but the evil powers in Satan's kingdom. And here's what he's saying I'm giving you power over their influence. It cannot hurt you. That must have greatly encouraged them. That was another reason for them to be joyful. But wait a minute, we're holding off to the last for the greatest reason for us to rejoice. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But this is another good reason to rejoice because. Satan's powers in his dark, evil kingdom cannot harm us. Not only did Jesus say that to the 70, but he says that to us today. We are protected by our Lord from the evil. Isn't that wonderful? Do you know how much that's worth? If you weren't protected from the evils of the devil's dark kingdom, you wouldn't make it home tonight. 
He is the prince of the powers of the air. He's the God of this world. Next to our living God, he is the most powerful spirit being in the universe. And he would destroy you and everything near and dear to you were it not for the protective power of God over your family. Rejoice in that, ladies and gentlemen. Because you didn't make it this far by your own bootstraps and your own ingenuity. You made it this far and you're sitting in that pew because God has protected you all your life. That's wonderful. Those little kids back there. They would, do you think the devil would give a second thought about destroying those children? Not at all. Do you know why they're protected? Well, Sherry's uh, back there. No. <laughs> you know why they're protected? Because God loves them and he surrounds himself around them and he protects them from the evils of the devil. We take so much for granted. But our Lord said to these men, the power of the enemy will not be able to hurt you in any way. And you know why we need to break it down and look at it the way it's really interpreted? Because it takes all the praise away from men and gives it all to God. If you'll notice these snake handlers and others, it's me, me, me. Look at my faith. Look how great my faith is. I can reach down and grab a snake and it won't bite me. It's me, me, me. I've got this great faith. That does not glorify God. It's lunacy to start with, but it doesn't glorify God. It puts the attention on the snake handler. Am I right? Not on the God of the Bible. And anything that directs attention toward men is not biblical. Our God deserves and even demands all the glory for everything. For our salvation, for our sanctification, for our safety, everything. And He deserves, don't you want to just praise Him? Isn't He wonderful? Hmm. He is so wonderful. 1 John 4, 4, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Our wonderful Lord has all power. Then there's a third and final reason why these disciples, these 70, rejoiced and Jesus reminds them of it. They didn't even think about it, but he brought it around. He said, now listen, I've heard you talk about all the reasons you're rejoicing and I, I, I commend you for that and I understand that, but I don't give you the greatest reason in the world for you to be rejoicing. And here it is. Verse 20. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the, evil, that the spirits are subject unto you. Here it is. But rejoice rather because your names are written in heaven. That is the greatest reason for us to rejoice even tonight. Have you stopped to... Is that, does that sink into your noodle? I mean, does that get into your mind? Your name is written in in heaven. Wow. That's all that matters. Amen. Nothing else matters. You say, well, I'm, I'm doing all right. I've got some money in the bank. I've got all, my car's running and my house is warm at night and cool in summer. That don't amount to nothing when it comes to the fact that your name is written in heaven. All these things are temporary. That's eternal. That's wonderful. Rejoice because your name's written in heaven. Uh, some time ago when Miss Wanda was going through all these appointments and so forth, uh, and you, you know, those of you who know the story, her surgery was postponed four times. By the way, she's still pain-free. I love it. I love it. She can't get in a car yet, and she can't drive for a while, and 
That's a good thing. You haven't seen her drive. I'm getting all this in before she starts back to church because I can't say any of this when she gets here. And none of you are going to be telling her what I said, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But anyway, we, we went to a, we got through the first three postponements, Kathy. Then we went to the Cartersville for the last time. We thought, hoped it would be the last time and went through all the paperwork one more time and had to see uh, the surgeon staff for, for pre-op one more time. So when that morning, went up to the uh, register, the, the desk there at the lady, and uh, we said, uh, it's, it's Wanda Banks and she's here to see uh, the staff, the surgical staff. Uh, and go over the pre-op and, and the lady looked at it and she said I can't find your name now you talk about heart dropping I mean we've been through this four times she said I can't find your name I said lady please look again and she looked and looked, she looked and she said oh there it is I found it Wanda Bankson now, that was so wonderful to find her name. Can you imagine when you see your name in heaven? When you see your name there? And the, the Lord says, there it is. There's your name. That's the only thing that's going to matter in your entire world is your names in that book. And Jesus said this, fellas, the demons are subject to you. I know that. And that's wonderful. And he said, they don't have any power over you or your family. And that's more wonderful. But the most wonderful thing is that your name is written in heaven. And that's based on the precious blood of Christ that Hazel sang about, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Based on that precious blood, is it not? Name written in the Lamb's book of life. I don't know what my name will be there. According to the book of Revelation, I'll have a new name. My name here is Ronald Joe Bankson. I don't ever tell that to anybody. I don't know why I told you that. Ronald Joe Bankson, that's my full name. But that won't be my name in heaven. Carrie, I, uh, I don't know what it says up there. When I was saved, of course, it was put there before I was saved because in his mind, he knew it before the foundation of the world. But he wrote my name in heaven when I trusted Jesus Christ. I don't know what my name is, but he knows. And he'll look at that and he'll say, there it is. Your name is there. That means everything, doesn't it? If there's anyone in this room tonight and you're not for sure your name is there, you can have it written tonight. And if you need to see any of us after the service, please look us up. Myself, one of the deacons, one of our preachers, we'll be glad to help you and we'll show you how you can know your name is written in heaven. And pray for these kids in the back because they're going to have the same proposition given to them. They can know they're saved by the grace of God. Isn't this wonderful? If it is, amen. amen. Let's stand, if you will, please. And remember, if you have any questions about whether or not your name is in heaven, please don't leave this room without talking to one of us about it. Carrie, we're praying for 
your dear wife, Brenda, would you pray for us tonight, please, sir, and ask God to keep us till Sunday and give us a wonderful day.